We are in Colossians 1 again. Colossians 1. We'll look at verses 13 and 14 this morning. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The he in verse 13 refers back to the father in verse 12. The father is the one who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. This is a triumphant declaration of victory in Christ. One of the Old Testament celebrations that God gave to his people uh, to celebrate this kind of victory and redemption and freedom is what is called the Jubilee. Every 50 years, the people followed God's instructions and celebrated this feast. It was a year-long feast. It was called the Year of Jubilee. And and after seven cycles of seven years, so every 49 years, the 50th year brought a time for victorious rejoicing over the work of God in redemption. The name of this holiday comes from the Hebrew word referring to the joyful shout or clangor of trumpets by which the Year of Jubilee was announced. So trumpets were, were blown and to announce the great victory, the great glory of God in redemption. And, and it sounded forth the freedom that God had provided, such as prisoners were set free every 50 years, slaves released, all debts forgiven, and property returned to its original owners. In addition, agriculture stopped for the year to give the people and the land a Sabbath rest. And this old covenant holiday of Jubilee is a beautiful picture of the celebration that we should experience when we think about the redemption that we find in Jesus. It's kind of what the apostles doing here in verses 13 and 14 following this prayer of, of God, thanks to God for the work that he is doing, and thanks to God for the accomplishment of Christ in the gospel, there is this triumphant shout in verses 13 and 14. It's the shout of the redeemed. It's, it's the victory of Christ on the cross and the empty tomb that belongs to all who are united to Christ by faith. And so here the focal point of Paul's shout of victory is the kingdom transfer that every follower of Christ has experienced. And so the big idea this morning is this. When we turn to Jesus in repentant faith, God rescues us from the dominion of darkness and sin and transfers us into the kingdom of light and love. Notice verse 13. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Both of those words, dominion and kingdom, carry the meaning of authority. So 
Paul is shouting, so to speak, through his pen that in Christ we have been rescued from the authority, the power, the tyranny of Satan and sin and the kingdom of darkness. We no longer live under the authority and the power of the evil one. Instead, Paul says, we are now ruled by the Lord Jesus, who is the son of love. What a great truth for us to think about this morning. We are in a different kingdom than we were before we were saved. So if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, then at the moment that you were saved, God transferred you. He rescued you. He plucked you out of the hands of the enemy, out of the power of the devil and the power of sin, away from that dominion, away from that evil tyranny, and placed you in the kingdom of his beloved son. What a great truth to think about this morning. Well, there are two aspects of our kingdom transfer that God wants us to think about specifically this morning. One is found in verse 13 and then uh, second part of 13 and 14. First, we have been delivered from the kingdom of darkness, which is ruled by Satan. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. The word delivered speaks of a complete rescue. A full rescue from the dominion of darkness. This word is only used in the context of God's salvation. When it's used in, in, in the New Testament. It's only speaking of the completeness of God's rescue of us. From the dominion of the enemy. Divine rescue emphasizes the the horrible danger that every lost person is in. The danger that you and I were in before we came to know Jesus. Before we were saved by grace through faith in Christ, we were, according to verse 13, totally incapable of rescuing ourselves. That's Paul's point here. We didn't need just a little help from our friends. We needed a complete rescue. We weren't just floundering in the ocean, unable to keep our head above water. We were dead at the bottom of the ocean and needed to be completely made alive, rescued, saved by God and his grace. The Gospel of John teaches us that the God who sent his only son to deliver us did so in order to deliver us from the kingdom of darkness. Listen to what it says in John 3, beginning in verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We usually stop there. It's a great verse. Okay? Incredible truth. But it goes on. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. 
Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. That's speaking of Christ and the good news. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. So they loved their works of sin. They loved their sin more than the desire to be free from it. And so they hated the light because they loved their sin. Verse 20, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. See, before we are saved, one of the things that the Holy Spirit does in our hearts is he begins to produce a hatred for our sin. As long as we continue to love our sin... And it is the most important thing in our lives. We will not be open to the light. And so the Spirit of God works in us and and convicts us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And so there is this change that is beginning to happen in our hearts whereby we are disturbed by our sin where previously we weren't. And that then opens the heart to the solution, which is Christ who is the light of the world. Whoever does what is true comes to the light, verse 21, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And so before we were saved, we were in darkness. We were blind. We were blinded by the enemy. And the Spirit of God used the gospel to break through that darkness. The book of Ephesians describes even more what we were like before God brought us into the light of Christ. Interestingly, Ephesians is often viewed as a companion letter to Colossians because they are so similar. Uh, And yet there's a key difference in their emphasis where Colossians focuses on Christ, who is the head of the body. Ephesians focuses on the body of which Christ is the head. And they so beautifully tie together. But this is how the Apostle Paul describes us in Ephesians chapter 2. This is what we were like before being rescued by Christ. Ephesians 2, 1. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So we were dead in our sins. We were just doing what the world told us to do. We didn't know any better. There was a lot of ignorance, but it was also what our heart wanted. And we were following the prince of the power of the air. Well, who's that? That's Satan. We were under the dominion of Satan. And that spirit is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That spirit is now still at work in the lives and the minds and the hearts of unbelievers in this world. And unless God rescues them and opens their eyes to the truth, that is where they will remain. And that is why we must proclaim the gospel, the freedom 
that is ours in Christ. He goes on to say, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, but God, verse 4. Two beautiful words in the New Testament. But God. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. This is God's work. God's work of gracious and glorious redemption. And he has opened our eyes, the eyes of our heart, and he has let his light flood into our souls. Chapter 4 of Ephesians says that we should no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their mind. In other words, we ought to walk differently than we did before we were saved. We should not be functioning in the futility of our minds. We should not be darkened in our understanding like unbelievers who are alienated from the life of God because of ignorance and their hardness of heart. If you do a study in the scriptures of hardness of heart, you find that that's one of the chief descriptions of an unbeliever. The heart is hard against God. The heart is hard against the truth of God's word. And only God can break through that hardness of heart. So often when I pray for someone who is not yet a believer, I will pray this way. I will pray, uh, Lord, use your Holy Spirit to rototill the hard soil of their heart so that it will receive the word, the seed of the word. And that's really based upon one of Jesus' parables where he, he says there are four kinds of heart, basically four kinds of spiritual hearts. And that hard heart, you can throw as much seed as you want on that hard soil and nothing's going to happen. That's why when we hired a landscape guy recently to to do all the repair work in the backyard, um, one of the things he did was he brought in good soil and then he loosened it all up so that when the seed was put on top, it landed on loose soil, not on hard, trampled down soil. And that's how we should pray for our unbelieving friends and family. The hardness of heart is something that only God can break through. God broke through our hard hearts, and so let us have compassion on those who are still in bondage to the kingdom of darkness. God knew that we needed a complete deliverance through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4 that all unbelievers continue to live in the tyrannical, under the tyrannical rule of Satan, being blinded. Their eyes, the eyes of their hearts are blinded from seeing the glory of Jesus. We must pray for them. We need to understand that for those of us who know Christ, the devil's license to run our lives has been revoked. 
if he has any freedom to do work in our lives, it's because we give him that freedom. It's because we put ourselves back under slavery. We are delivered from this domain of darkness, this realm of moral rebellion against the light. What a glorious truth. He, God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness. There's a second aspect of our kingdom transfer, and that is this. We have been transferred into the kingdom of God, which is ruled by the beloved Son. Isn't it wonderful that God didn't just pluck us out of the kingdom of Satan and then say, okay, now do your best to just figure it out on your own. (laughs) That's how a lot of Christians function in the Christian life. They just don't really understand all that is theirs in Christ. And so they they know they're saved, and yet they think that they got to just kind of figure it out from there. Failing to realize that God not only delivered us from the domain of darkness, but he's put us into the kingdom of his beloved son. Isn't that a wonderful way that the Apostle Paul uh, describes the kingdom of God? He transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So you go from a hateful, tyrannical ruler, Satan, to the loving, gracious, still authoritative rulership of the Lord Jesus Christ. The son of love. We have been transferred into a different spiritual domain. Delivered from the realm of the devil, we now belong to a different spiritual domain. A kingdom that Jesus says is not of this world. And this sounds basic, but too often we forget that the kingdom to which we now belong is a spiritual kingdom. It is not yet an earthly kingdom. That is yet to come. It is a spiritual kingdom. Jesus makes this clear when he responds to Pontius Pilate. Uh, Pontius Pilate was the Roman governor who interrogated Jesus during uh, the days of his, uh, before his crucifixion. And um, The Gospel of John says, so Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Jesus says, if my kingdom was of this world, then my disciples would have been fighting for me to be delivered now. And yet it was a spiritual kingdom that Jesus came to establish. To rescue sinners from the domain of darkness. The tyrannical rule of the devil. 
And so the kingdoms that Paul is speaking of here in 13 and 14 are spiritual, not earthly. They refer to realms of spiritual authority and activity. Now, as God saves sinners by his grace through the gospel, the spirit of God changes hearts one heart at a time. And as those lives are changed, then there is a spillover effect in the world. A spillover effect of righteousness and holiness and justice and all of those things which characterize God and his character and his law. And so the lives of believers should reflect that righteousness of Jesus Christ. But please understand, there is no way to accomplish that kind of societal change or cultural change apart from the Spirit's work in individual hearts, saving them, rescuing them from the domain of darkness so that now they are free to serve the one who died and rose again for them. And as we live for Christ, then we reflect the kingdom of the beloved Son of God, which one day will be earthly. These are glorious truths. We have been set free from our old kingdom of sin and darkness and placed into the kingdom of God's love. And so the rule of our new kingdom is marked not by tyranny, but by grace. Satan rules his kingdom through fear and slavery and darkness. But God rules his kingdom through his loving son. We have not yet fully experienced the kingdom. We have not experienced the kingdom in all of its fullness. But one day when Jesus returns, we will. And he will rule. In the meantime, we who are citizens of heaven, citizens of the kingdom of his beloved son, we have a message of hope and light to preach to this world so that sinners may be saved from the tyranny of the devil. Paul says in Ephesians 2, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We are members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. In the Old Testament, the temple was a physical location. In the New Testament, the temple is the people of God. We are the temple of God. We are where the Holy Spirit dwells. And as a member of the kingdom of Christ, 
Paul says, you have been set free from slavery by the payment of a ransom. You already have. Look at verse uh, 14. In whom we have redemption. We already have redemption. We already have liberation. We have already been freed from our sin debt. It has been paid in full by the Son of God who removed the penalty of our sin. We are now members of God's household, rescued from the family of the devil, placed into the family of God. Verse 14 says, in whom, whom refers back to the beloved son. It's in Christ that we have this redemption. What does it mean to be in Christ? It means that the moment you turn from your sin to the Savior, you are placed in union with Jesus. And so now God looks at you through the accomplishments of the Lord Jesus. And you are now a citizen of heaven. And Paul says then there are two results of this transfer into the kingdom of Christ. First, we have been redeemed, purchased by God with the blood of Jesus. In whom, verse 14, we have redemption. Paul says it this way in Galatians 3. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. To redeem someone means to purchase them. And so what God has done for us is in sending his son, he has gone into the slave market of sin and he has purchased sinners for himself. Bought with the precious blood of Christ, freed from the dominion of of Satan and placed into his family. The purchase price for our redemption was the life of his only son. We often speak of salvation as being free, and it is. The free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. It is free for us but it was not free for Jesus. He paid the ultimate price. He did that to purchase us. Jesus became the object upon which the curse of sin was laid. That's what Paul's describing there in Galatians 3. The sin of Adam and Eve was so great, which then was passed on to every man and woman and child in the world that we were brought under the sentence of condemnation. And the only way to be freed from the sentence of condemnation of the law was that there would be a perfect man to pay the price and to fulfill the law. And that person is Jesus Christ, the God Man. We have been redeemed. We now belong to him. That then takes us to the second result of our transfer into the kingdom of Christ, which is forgiveness. We have been forgiven. What does that mean? It means that our sins have been put away by God, who does not hold them against us. 
The word forgive means to put away. It means to release. See, your sins and my sins were such an affront to the holy standards of God and, and we diminished the glory of God so severely that we deserve to die. We deserve condemnation. But the good news is that Christ took that condemnation for us. It's that, but God, <laughs> but God, who's rich in mercy. There's another but God in Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Listen, God loved us so much that he cursed his son instead of cursing us. He heaped upon his son all of the punishment that our sin deserved. We are now set free. So when we come to Jesus, our sins are forgiven. They are put away. They are put aside. The punishment of them is put aside. I love Psalm 103 and how it describes this forgiveness. It says, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. He has removed our transgressions from us. He has put them away. Have you put away the sins that other people have committed against you? If you have experienced this putting away of your sins by God, have you put away the sins that other people have committed against you? Or do you still occupy a place as the judge? And you're going to make that person pay. You're going to make them pay as long as you think they need to pay for what they did to you. Are you trying to say to me, that your judgment is more perfect than God's judgment, who has put away our sins from us. The application of this is daily in our lives. So if you do not yet know Jesus, please understand this, that Jesus, the Son of God, became a curse for you by willingly assuming the guilt of your sin and paying the penalty that God's righteousness and justice required. And now he is free to forgive you if you will come to him. If you will humbly come to him and acknowledge your need of him, he will forgive you. He will put your sins as far as the east is from the west. So far, it says, will he remove your sins from you. That's incredible. The guilt is gone because Jesus took it all. So this, let me urge you, stop running away from God. Instead, run to him. Run to Jesus. Run into the arms of the loving Savior who will freely forgive you 
because he's already paid the price. When Fanny Crosby, the famous hymn writer, was only six weeks old, she was afflicted uh, with an infection in her eyes and they couldn't get a hold of, her parents couldn't get a hold of the family doctor and they called in a pseudo doctor (laughs) instead who applied hot poultice to her eyes and burned her corneas. Scar tissue formed. As a result, Fanny lost all vision except the ability to barely distinguish the difference between light and darkness. That's really a spiritual picture of us before we are saved. Our conscience convicts us because that's the purpose for which God gave it to us, but we can barely distinguish the difference between light and darkness. And yet in the gospel, God floods our souls with light, rescues us from the kingdom of darkness, places us into the kingdom of Light And Jesus says that is one of the reasons he was sent to preach the gospel, to proclaim recovering of sight to the blind. And he wasn't just talking about physical sight. He was talking about spiritual sight, healing our spiritual blindness, rescuing us, delivering us, from the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of sin and placing us into the kingdom of the beloved Son of God. If you know Christ, then this is who you are. You no longer live under the tyranny of the devil. You now live in the freedom of Christ under a new authority, the authority of your loving Lord, who has done all that is required to purchase us, and one day he's coming again.